Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Hey guys, how you doing? You good? Energy squad, where are we at? Come on. How you doing guys? You good? Amazing. Let's do it. Good evening, good evening. Um, really excited to share with you guys again tonight. So as Nate said, I'm discipleship pastor here at Saint. Um, and if you want to know what discipleship pastor means, well, so do I. So someone after, you can tell me what that means. Um, but essentially, in all honesty, discipleship pastor basically means that I do care of all the stuff inside church. So like, uh, whether that's connect groups or preaching series or anything like that, um, my heart is for you guys. I love you guys. This is where you say, ah. Oh. Um, so I deal with all the stuff that's happening inside church kind of thing. Um, whereas someone like Hannah, who's uh, head of Lighthouse, is really in care of people outside the church. Or like Danny, who leads Alpha and all the stuff around invitation. Uh, she's all about stuff outside and people on the peripherals of church. And so my, my role here is all about the inside. Um, having said that, one of the things that really intrigues me anytime I have a conversation with someone that's new to Saint is this question that I always get. And if it's not about the building or the brewery or the bees, I get this question about the music shows. And someone comes out, do you guys genuinely run gigs in this building? To which I'm like, yeah, duh, why, why wouldn't we? Like, it's super cool. And I start gushing about all the gigs that we do. And um, I talk about the team, they're incredible, like Ben and Tando and those guys. Have you ever, who's ever been to a gig at, say, this hands up? Incredible, right? They're, they're amazing. Can we give it up for like the music team here? You guys are incredible. Love you, Ben. Um, so like, I'm always like gushing whenever someone asks about the gigs here. And it's kind of that like proud dad moment where I'm like, yeah, they're amazing. They're such a good team. We don't just run gigs, but it's like our own in-house welcome team who like pray over the gigs. It's like our own production crews, all of that. But it wasn't until the other day we actually came uh, to his show here myself. It was Robert Glasper, um, and it was incredible. And I came, and it was this extraordinary feeling as I came in and just saw the lines, like, literally to the back of the greenery outside. And I was like, this is insane. Like, literally, church is packed to the rafters. And I, uh, like me, pastor like me, I was like, I just, I can't wait for Sundays to be packed like that. Amen? Can someone say amen to that? <laughs> So the first of me is like, yeah, I can't wait for it to be like spiritually like this on a Sunday. But I guess the creative in me and the music lover in me was like, well, obviously it's going to be that pack because it's music, right? It's music. Music is that thing that just gathers people from cultures of all types of experiences. Music is that thing that gets us going. We sing in the shower. We, we go outside our house, bop into our Spotify playlist or Apple Music um, Pray for you guys later on. I don't know why you'd use such an app. <clears throat> but <laughs> in all honesty, it doesn't matter like what you listen to. Music is that thing that keeps us going. Music is the universal language of humanity. And so as I was preparing for tonight, it's no surprise to me that I rediscovered that the Psalms, which I'm going to speak through tonight, are the most loved and cherished and memorable parts of Scripture. Because essentially, the Psalms are music. The Psalms are songs. That's literally what the word Psalms means. It means a sacred song, a sacred song. You know, Billy Graham said that he used to read five Psalms a day. 
N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, called the Psalms limitless and that they deserve to be read, sung, said, chanted, whispered, learned by heart and even shouted from the rooftops. And my favorite of the bunch, Ellen Davis, a professor of theology, defined the Psalms as, listen to this, helping us to bring into our conversation with God all the feelings and thoughts that most of us think we need to get rid of before God will be interested in hearing from us. Don't you love that? I know I do. And that last quote is so relevant for the psalm that we're going to look at today. That's the point. If there's anything I want you to take away from this short time, and it's going to be short because this is part one. I have the privilege of speaking to you guys again next week. I'm so sorry about that. Um, So just (laughs) gear yourselves up for this. But this is part one. And, And that point that Ellen Davis makes, that the psalms invite us to bring into our conversations with God the things that we hide away in the closet, the things that we think he doesn't want to hear about, the things that we know that he knows, that he knows, but still we never mention it in prayer or at church when we're in worship because we feel ashamed. I want us to take away from today that God is nearer than our very skin. God is here and he wants to meet with us. Amen? Amen. So Psalm 73, why don't you turn there in your Bibles if you've got uh, an app or whatever it is, why don't you switch it on and uh, let's get into Psalm 73. And just so you know, I didn't just pick this psalm at random. Um, I didn't just like close my eyes and like flick through 150 songs and like just pick one. I didn't just press shuffle, I promise. The reason we're looking at Psalm 73 is because it's a psalm of wisdom. Everyone say wisdom. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, one of the breakthrough discoveries in the study of the Psalms came in the 20th century by a guy called Herman Gunkel. And basically, he discovered that the Psalms can be categorized into different themes. So you have the Psalms of praise, like Pastor Nate spoke to us last week about. You have the Psalms of wisdom, which I'm going to speak about. You have Psalms of lament or complaint, as some people call it. And you have Psalms of thanksgiving. And so it was discovered that these Psalms were not just random lyrics that David, like, just wrote in his room, but they were actually like worship bangers that were sung in congregations like this. When people were sad, they would come with a psalm of lament. When they were happy, they would come with a psalm of thanksgiving. When they were grateful, they would come with psalms of praise and so on and so on. They were songs for every season, hence the series title for August. So today I'm going to speak on our chosen psalm of wisdom, which is Psalm 73. And I'm going to read the whole thing in the NLT version. So uh, um, it's, a, it's a bit long, but it's, it's good. The word of God is good. How many people know the word of God is good? Amen? Amen. All right, let's get into it. Psalm 73. It goes like this. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? 
Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, then I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I got in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My heart, my health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, but for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Lord, today, would you open up our hearts to see what's going on in this psalm? Lord, would you... Help us to learn the lesson that Asaph, the writer of this psalm, learned when he penned these lyrics. Would you speak to the areas that we hide away, God, and would you give us a revelation, a word in season, that it's good to be near you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Now, before we jump back into our wisdom psalm, Psalm 73, it's important that we define what wisdom is. Because let's be honest, wisdom isn't one of those things that you hear all the time. Like, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm standing in line for Starbucks, I don't overhear a conversation like, hey, how's your week going, girl? Yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm struggling. That, you know, that situationship is happening again. I, I feel like I just need some wisdom. Just need some wisdom. Like, I don't know about you guys. Maybe I'm in like, the wrong Starbucks, or I need to go to more cool coffee shops like some of you guys, but it's not, wisdom is not like a thing that we hear in common conversation. So what is it? What is wisdom? Well, contrary to our popular culture, it's definitely not Instagram or Pinterest quotes like this. Sometimes doing nothing is an absolute blessing. Wow, deep, come on. Or if they, want to, if they don't want to watch you grow, maybe it's time to let them go. Yes, come on, double tap, retweet, share that. All of it, I want all of it. How about this one? People be so jealous of you because your character carries more weight than their title. Read that again, stank face. I'm sharing that one with my long lost cousin in Alabama that I never, never met before. And here's one more for the alpha males in the room. Your goals doesn't care about your feelings. Yes. Wow. Wow. That is so grammatically incorrect, but yes, I love it. (laughs) 
Okay, so I hope everyone gets the point. Those examples are not wisdom. Well, not according to the Bible, at least. Biblical wisdom, on the other hand, is theological. And by that, I mean that biblical wisdom is about the ways of God, his laws, how it is to follow him, the fate of those who follow God, i.e. the righteous or the wise, and the fate of those who don't, i.e. the wicked and the foolish. And yes, some biblical wisdom sounds like short, memorable sayings, like those found in the book of Proverbs, but ultimately, biblical wisdom isn't designed to be an Instagrammable quote. Rather, wisdom, according to scripture, is meant to be skillful. That's literally what the word wisdom means in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for wisdom is hakmah, which means to be skillful. So wisdom, according to the Bible, is all about learning to understand a skill or an art. And when we look closer at books like Job or Proverbs and Psalms, we're not talking about any type of art, but more specifically, biblical wisdom is the art of godly living. Biblical wisdom is the art of godly living. You guys with me? So when we jump back into Psalm 73, we need to hold this in our minds that this Psalm is trying to give us understanding, skill, and knowledge that helps us to live godly lives in the everyday. Wisdom that helps us to practice this art of godly living. This is what this Psalm is trying to do. But when you read this Psalm for the first time, you might think to yourself, it's doing the opposite because of how deep and troublesome it sounds. But for us to get the wisdom, we need to understand the backstory. You see, this psalm was written by a man named Asaph. And Asaph was a worship leader at the time of David. He was like the worship leader. Everyone knew who Asaph was. He, had like, he was that guy. He'd gone to like Hillsong College. He'd gone to like Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. He's like leading worship at Renaissance next week. Like he's the, he's the guy, right? And so Asaph is this really known guy that invites us into his personal testimony. And he opens this personal testimony in verse one by saying this, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. So Asaph starts this song by affirming the truth, the same truth that we find in Hebrews eleven six, 6, where it's surely those who come to God must believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So Asaph is literally saying, yeah, I believe that. Like, that's, that's my cry. Basically, Asaph is saying that church, God is good. Uh, some of you didn't catch it. We're gonna go again. Church, God is good. And all the time, amen, there we go. So Asaph is basically saying, church, God is good. All the time, and all the time, God is good. However, that bold opening statement is quickly pushed aside as Asaph opens up to us about the crisis that he's having on a really personal level. And in verse two, he says this, but as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. And what he's saying here, church, is that, guys, I'm in real deep trouble here. I, I know God is good just like I said he was. I know that he is good all the time and all the time he is good, but right now I'm struggling to believe that and I'm about to slip. And in the Bible, to slip or to stumble means to lose your faith. And so he's saying that I almost gave up the faith. He didn't, but he's saying that I almost did. 
And so this talented worship leader and faithful follower of God was ready just to walk away, to throw in the towel. And the reason he tells us is in verse three, he says, because I envied the proud when I saw them prosper. Someone say prosper, despite their wickedness. And there it is. Do you see it? Asaph's hidden emotion behind this crisis of faith was envy, envy caused by comparison. He started to check out the grass on the other side. He he started to check out what the other team were doing, concentrating on a culture that does not have Christ at the center of it. And he says, I almost lost my faith. And it's the prosperity of this culture that gets him. That word prosperity, you might know it in the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. And that word is about God's peace filling our heart and every part of our heart. It's a word that was known and deeply associated to God's covenant people. And so Asaph zooms out of his devotion with God and he digs into the daily affairs of like the practical atheists of his day, right? And he says, hang on a second. The image, the clothing, the cars, the houses, the company they keep, the restaurants they post, These people are getting everything that God promised his covenant people. And I've been here serving in the house of God, not getting wasted on a weekend like those guys, not not doing the things they're doing, but being faithful in my position where he's called me to be in the industry that I am. And yet they're living God-blessed lives and I'm not. What is going on with this faith? And you know what? Before we begin to judge Asaph 3,000 years later and stone him with our iPhones or something, how many of us know that this isn't just Asaph's problem, but it's ours too? This, this, this envy and this comparison that we get. I mean, if you look hard enough and wide enough, you can always find someone who is more happier or, or more content, better off with a bigger salary, better health, fewer problems, a better life, a nicer home a better fee, more connections, more prestige, more money in the bank. And we just seem to feel like they're higher up this proverbial ladder than we are. And it causes us to ask the question, hey God, does this faith really work? And I believe that the reason we ask such a question is because in many Christian circles, there's this framework and collective mind that's been built up that says that if we strive to live good and moral lives, that God will bless us with what seems to be material and Western success. Even though the teaching of the Bible and the unmerited grace of God annihilates this idea, somehow we've picked up this this lie, is what I would call it, that if we live good moral lives, somehow we will get Western prosperity. Somehow that God will bless us with the person of our dreams, the job of our dreams, the house of our dreams, and it will all go well because we're faithful followers of God. And this is what Asaph is experiencing, and you can understand it to a certain degree because in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, one of the ways that God would sometimes bless his people was through blessing them materially. But when we go to the New Testament, we find out that if there is one person that should have been blessed more than anyone else, it should have been Jesus, right? And instead, Jesus gets a cross and a crucifixion for his goodness. I wonder how many of us struggle with this problem that Asaph is going through. How many of us are troubled when we see people that don't seem to be following the ways of God, yet they seem just fine. One of the words in the psalm, uh, one of the questions he asks is like, how are they saying, does God really see us? 
And I know for me personally, uh, when I became a Christian, uh, the people that I was surrounded by, uh, the, the company I kept, they didn't believe what I believed. Um, and yet, they seemed to like go, from the moment I became a Christian, they seemed to go more happier, more successful, more blessed than I was. And I was like, this doesn't add up, right? Like I dropped all the stuff that I meant to drop. I did the Christian thing, right? I did the devotion, and I downloaded the Bible app, all of it. And yet, somehow, my life is not looking like I thought it would. And so Asaph is struggling with this. And I wonder how many of us can relate. I mean, what do you do when your theology doesn't match up with your reality? What do you do when your belief that the thing that you're grounding yourself on isn't matching up with the reality and the dreams and the the hopes and aspirations that you had? If you've been a Christian for longer than three minutes, you will know that this isn't just a question that Asaph, a worship leader 3,000 years ago, asked, but this is a question that everyone at the center of our culture is asking today. How can God be so good and yet not bless his people? And yet it seems that the wicked are the ones getting blessed. In other words, why are bad things happening to good people and good things happening to bad people? As I said, this is going to be the first part of a continuing conversation that we have with Asaph. Uh, If you're here next week, um, we're going to unpack how he actually deals with this comparison trap that we find ourselves in today. Uh, And so we're not going to go into details tonight because of time. But if there's one thing, as I mentioned at the start, I want you to take away from this. I know it seems quite bleak and quite dark, but if there's one thing I want you to take away from today, it's this. is that this psalm exists. I'm going to say that one more time. This psalm exists. And this tells us something fundamental about the character of God, that God isn't shying away from the hardest questions that we have to face. God is not afraid of our our perplexity. He's not hiding from our songs or our questions of doubt. You know, when you're reading this psalm, you're thinking, man, this is getting dark. This is getting dark. But you need to remember that this is a conversation with God. It's an ongoing dialogue. And so Asaph brings his his deepest hopes and fears and doubts into the presence of God. He longs longs to know that God is close to him. And this is what I want us to take away from today is that the Bible tells us this, that whilst we were still sinners, the key word whilst, whilst we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. I wonder if someone can celebrate the King of Kings right now because he is good. I wonder if someone can join with me and to celebrate who God is because he's saying that, look, I don't need you to put away your thoughts and your failures and your fears. What I need you to do is recognize that I, I who held up the cross am able to hold up your doubts and your despairs too. Amen? So as I invite the worship team to come back on, guys, I, I really want us to press into this tonight. It was such a beautiful moment of worship just before. And the beauty of it is, is that in those spaces, we don't know what the person next to us is going through. We don't know what the person on our right or our left has experienced that week. But the thing that connects us all is that the person that we've come to meet with today knows and loves our inmost being. And he's able to take on all that weight. So I don't know what you've walked in with today. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're like Asaph, where you're kind of on the peripherals of giving up right now. And you're thinking, actually, there's so much going on in my family life, in my personal life. There's so much that I'm still longing for that hasn't happened. 
There's a career prospect, there's a relationship, there's a, there's a desire, there's a dream that I've been perpetuating that still hasn't come yet. I wonder whether you can take that to God in this moment. And the beauty of it is, is that he already knows. He's not ashamed or shocked. Church, if I'm being honest, I always say this. I think, um, as I close, we're, we're, um, we're quite a new church in a sense of we're a new community. Um, the leadership here hasn't been here that long. And so, uh, as a church, we, we are in a stage um, where we, we have the privilege to begin to build together a collective mind, if you like, a collective culture where we say, this is the type of people we want to be. And we can be people that walk through those doors every Sunday and basically as soon as we get in, we put a mask on, we're like, we're good, we're gonna do the thing, we're gonna go to the brewery after and it's gonna be good and no one needs to know what I'm going through. That's cool, we can probably get away with that with like five, 10 years and no one will know. But I wonder what it would look like if we became a community who says, you know what, faith is hard, but God is good. And I have a community here of people who are going through the exact same things, maybe different shades and different ways, but I have a community of people here that I hope and pray that I can call my family. And so what I'm going to do when I walk through those doors isn't leave my past and my realities behind, but I'm gonna bring it in, I'm gonna bring it to God, I'm gonna bring it to my family, and I'm going to hope and pray that as we do that, something begins to shift in our collective mind where we say, hey, actually, God, mark us. Mark us as a church that are radically transparent before you because you already know and you love us still. Amen? Why don't we stand? Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.